You're listening to the best morning routine ever podcast, the show that proves no one stumbles upon success ever. With your host, Lou Need. Every Mondays and Thursdays, we deliver cold heart evidence behind the power of a robust morning routine. Get ready to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Hello, morning enthusiasts. Welcome to the best morning routine ever podcast. I am Dr. Lunid, and today I have the honor of introducing a very special guest to the show, John David Lata. Uh, you know, he is a mystic, an author, a teacher, a former founder and CEO of a multi-million dollar consumer product company. He shares intimate and personal stories and teaches workshops on leadership, healing, transformation, love. I mean, you name it. It's just that wisdom and the unity on how to expand your human experience. All right. So I'm really excited and thrilled to have him um, be on the show today because we're going to learn a little bit more about Mr. John. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lenny. Very happy to be here. Appreciate the invitation. Yes, it's my pleasure. Um, I love a hero story. Tell us about your why. I mean, you went from a multi-million dollar a company to now you're teaching and now, you know, you're writing. Tell us about that transition. What, what got you started too? Well, all the way back in uh, 2017, I, my company was going through a little bit of struggles and I realized I just didn't want to do it anymore. And in fact, my right-hand man, Julie, said she wanted to quit. And there was just a lot of logistical, it's difficult running a company. There's a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always admired football coaches and uh, who sometimes when their contract was up, they would sit and decide if they still had the fire in the belly to continue. And I realized they didn't have the fire in the belly. So I went back to Julie and said, hey, don't quit. Why don't we put together a plan to sell the company? Mm-hmm. And so uh, it did take about two years to kind of reinvent the company, get it ready and uh, luckily, uh, when we put it on the market, it went really quickly. And I feel really blessed that I sold it right before COVID hit. So <laughs> yeah. I'm lucky I listened to that nagging voice in me that said, I think it's time to move on. And, uh, and I, it was good. It was, uh, it was a difficult transition. I didn't really want to go back to work, but in a way, I kind of missed working. And so I've been sort of semi-retired. And while it's great not working, I kind of miss working too. So like a lot of people during COVID, I wrote a book that I've been meaning to write for a long time. And um, and it came out April 1st of this year. And I've been out kind of marketing the book ever since. Very nice. Yeah. From running a business that can be hacking. I agree with you. Entrepreneurship is not easy because you just have to wear multiple hats and the resources. And now you're teaching about leadership. So you learn quite a bit in that process, a lot of hands-on experience, right? I did. I screwed everything up, but I like to say I didn't screw it up more than once. So <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes, but I learned from all the mistakes. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Let's talk about some of the things you learned. Some of the mistakes, I don't call them mistakes because they're like part of the journey, right? right? To get you to now be teaching about it, the lessons learned. So let's talk about some of the things you did learn that we call quote-unquote mistakes. Um. Well, some little things are, you know, there's a saying I like to say sometimes, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) And one of the things I learned, I I was not a person that liked to ask other people for help or like to ask questions. And so I would plunge in with enthusiasm and promptly make mistakes and screw things up. And so I kind of learned over time, it was okay to be a little more slow, a little more, more methodical and to ask questions before I jump into things. 
Yeah. And yeah. That was probably, you know, I'm sure that just comes with time and age and wisdom. <laughs> so good life lesson. Yeah. Um, being taking the time to be decisive, but to kind of process sleep on things, you know, so you don't plumber face first. Um, doing those things. I think for entrepreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs are enthusiastic. They have ideas. They want to start new things. And they never want to squelch that process in other people. And But I think the best companies out there are a mix of that almost wild-eyed energy, enthusiasm, and idealism mixed with a couple of, I'm going to call it gray-haired people that are like, <laughs> whoa, 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 did you think about this? You know? <laughs> And that tension between the two is what creates great companies. I, I got the chance to meet Howard Bihar, who was the CFO for Starbucks. And he said that was exactly the relationship he and Howard Schultz had when they started Starbucks. Howard Schultz was the golden boy of idealism and energy and passion. And Howard Bihar was the guy that said, whoa, 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 there's a few problems here. And they fought all the time. But it was that tension between the two that created a great company. It's a great dynamic. Absolutely. I, I read the book and I, and I saw that in their relationship. We need people who are realist, realistics, realist yes. people around you. That's going to not only execute, but think it through for you, the visionaries. Yeah, you need the mix. Yeah, the idealism and the, and the practical realities. It's a good mix. Yeah, that's awesome. And it sounds like you and Julie had that going for quite a while. And then you, decide, you collectively decided, you know what, it's time to sell. Yeah, I was trying to sell, right? Let's get out of this one. So do you believe that, I mean, with having to get to a point where you were just burnt out and tired and, and wanted something new, and we're going to talk about the new the new flames, the new uh, enthusiasm now, but do you believe that everyone should at some point hit their version of a rock bottom so that they can come out stronger and, and with more energy? That's a great question. And... I'm going to answer it as best as I can, but I don't think it's necessary, but I do think that's what most people do. Mm -hmm. uh, I think sometimes, you know, hitting rock bottom for me, I look back, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. But I also look back and I, I sometimes think it didn't have to happen. I think sometimes there's a, a deep inner knowing that it's time to change, but there's also resistance to change. I remember talking to a, a counselor, a therapist, and she said, John, you cannot believe how many times I show people the grass really is greener over on the other side, but they <laughs> won't go there because that's unknown and it's uncertain. And so I think people sometimes they just get stuck in their habits. They become comfortable, even though they might be miserable because they're afraid to go through. Uh, the change, the change that is probably nagging at them and gnawing at them. And so the only way the change happens is if they get dragged down to the very pit of hell. <laughs> so I don't think it has to be that way, but I think it often is that way. We're conditioned to go that way. Um, yeah. And in the way that you're teaching your clients that it can be avoided. Yeah. A lot of it can be alleviated and avoided because you're teaching them about the transformation um, before they hit rock bottom. Tell us about the work that you do with, with the people you work with. Um, well, I think, you know, every everybody's journey is different. And so uh, it's hard for me to really say what I do with people in general, because every person that I talk to is having a different challenge. I think the thing I try to do with people um, to begin with is just listen, listen really deeply, uh, listen with intuition, 
And using that intuition, I ask them lots of questions. And so I, you, you know, in a way, it probably looks like I'm coaching people, but I, I like somebody call it the art of drawing forth, trying to help the other person reach down inside themselves. Because I think they know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but so much of the time, they're just afraid. They know the changes they need to make. They're just afraid. They know the changes they need to make. They're just difficult. And giving up the kind of known predictability and the old habits is hard for people. So I just try and draw out the wisdom that I think is in other people. Mm -hmm. That that being a maximizer, being able to draw it out so people can see it, recognize it for themselves. Because you're right, sometimes we're... Too, we're in too deep. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's really true. And sometimes just helping somebody talk it out and, you know, using your intuition to ask the other pe- person questions that are just kind of popping up. It's amazing. People can do a lot of self-healing just in that process. Yeah. Let's talk about the healing process. I know there's, um, as a mystic, there's a lot of talk about understanding death and afterlife and who we are here on earth. Let's talk a bit about that. Okay. So, um, so the two parts to healing one, I like, I've thought about healing a lot and I've decided another name for healing would just be transformation. Mm -hmm. People have shit happen to them. People get wounded. And sometimes it's not even something that somebody else did. Sometimes they just devolve into what feels like darkness or depression. You know, just it's hard to really know. And that gives them sort of one view of life. That's that's their experience of life. Healing is just transforming that into a different way of experiencing life. And coming back to I talk about in my book, the very beginning, it came completely out of nowhere. I don't know where it came from. Suddenly, I was terrified of death. And now it was a really difficult time in my life. But otherwise, I felt healthy. I didn't feel like I was going to physically die. But I never really thought about what happens when you die. And it just, I wasn't at that time religious or spiritual. I just thought, oh, my God, when I die, it's over. That's <laughs> the end, like oblivion. Like, that was it. <laughs> And that was so hard for me to confront. And so I had joined a a year-round spiritual study group. And I remember it like yesterday, the teacher said, okay, for the month of November, we're going to embrace the mystery of death. And I want you to plan for your death. If you don't have a will, make a will. If there's, you need to make amends to somebody, go make amends to them. There's something needs to be said, go say it. Plan that like you're going to die at the end of this month. And if you're afraid of death, I want you to meditate on death, pray about death, read books on death, listen to music on death. And oh, my God, Lenny, that was the most transformative period of my life because I was terrified of death. And that month of literally, you know, I, I, it's a little over the top to say making love to death, but I, <laughs> I did. I embraced it. I faced it. And so to this day, I really try to tell people, you know, if you're afraid of flying, if you're afraid of public speaking, if you're afraid of cold calling, go do it. You know, go do it. Read books from people that have overcome these fears. It really is shockingly transformative and healing, which to me are kind of the same thing to go towards the very thing you're most afraid of and step into it. Yeah. What you just explained is exposure therapy. Yeah, you expose yourself to it until the the lion or the thing, the tiger just becomes so small, it looked like a kitten. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's true for a lot of people. A lot of people have what feel like inner demons, inner monsters. And if you turn and face them with courage and compassion, both, yeah, they kind of become smaller and smaller. It's just they're not that big a deal. But the more you run from them and hide from them and try and craft a life where you're avoiding them, they can they can be big and scary. Yeah. And then hunt you. And, and they become yes. tra- become traumatizing, almost crippling, and that's that hinders a lot of people from taking action. Yeah, I remember Brad Pitt. He had an interview just recently in, I think it was Esquire magazine. So Brad Pitt, the actor, and he talked about having a dream, and I forget the dream, but I think it was a nightmare that came to him night after night, year after year, where I think a bunch of people were stabbing him to death, and he had the courage to go into the dream to say, what the hell is this all about? And so waking up terrified, you know, it's sort of like he found a way to go back into the dream and confront it. And he realized it was just a bunch of his own stuff and a lot of his own fears and and the nightmares have disappeared now. And so whether you can do that in your dream life or in your outer life, it's just better, I think, sometimes to just walk towards it, give it a Mm -hmm. hug, embrace it, you know, as you know, at whatever pace that you can, but stop running from it. And you're right. It gets smaller and smaller that way. It's easier said than done though, John, right? Oh, that's, yeah, that's what I said. Do it at your own (laughs) pace. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But just starting the process begins the shrinking of the monster or the monsters. Yeah. And that might take years. I totally, I totally acknowledge that years or decades, but I, I still believe it's better than running from it all the time. I agree. And I think you're, you're onto something because you, the work that you do is being able to, to pull it out, right? pull it forward, helping people kind of um, accelerate that process. So it doesn't take the years. I mean, you've a lot of people have been struggling with this stuff for decades, right? Yes. Um, I think about myself being afraid of um, heights. You know, yeah. it's been it's been a lifelong thing. I look down, my knees buckle. I feel like I'm going to fall over. You know? I'm Although with you. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. feet away from from the cliff. However, um, but I, I did jump out of a working plane. Right. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so that, there's that exposure therapy to kind of overcome that fear to be like, oh, no, it's OK, especially a cliff where there's water down below. I learned how to swim just in case it happened. I know how to survive. Yeah. And so those are the kind of actions that can be put in place to help to help you make this monster smaller, smaller, become a cute kitten from a lion. Right. Yes. And you do that with your line of work. You're you're pulling them forward. You're helping them with that exposure. But I think changing of habits, too. So there's a lot of need for that self-reflection, self-love, self-worthiness to build the confidence, the bravery necessary to take the steps. Do you agree? I totally agree. I think almost everything begins with self-love. Yeah. You can get there. It's amazing what you can um, deal with in the world. Yeah, a hundred percent. And a lot of the, the the time with even taking it a step further, John, self-love begins with putting um, uh, smart habits or effective habits in place and kind of eradicating the old ones. So I, I want to know about your habits, right? To help you get up, dress up and show up to do what you do every day to conquer your fears, to, to yeah. fall in love with death. <laughs> yeah. Well, so... Um... So I've been in management my whole life, literally since I was 18 years old. So 
I've been like an entrepreneur to wearing a lot of hats, go, go, go. There's never an end to it. There's always so much to do. So I have to fight my inclination when I wake up in the morning, which I usually wake up with a lot of energy to leap out of bed and jump on my day so I can get a head start because I have so much to do. And which is true, I do. But what I learned over time, it's better instead of just diving into something to go and what I call get to work early and organize your day. You know, mm-hmm. I want to say clean the desk, see the big picture, see everything I want to try and accomplish today and, and put a plan into place. And sometimes if I'm if my day, week, month is going well, I'll do that before I go to bed at night because that actually helps me sleep well, too. So right. I know exactly what I'm going to do tomorrow. And, you know, keeping in mind management, things happen. So sometimes things have to be changed on the fly. But my morning routine for me is uh, creating that structure in order to begin with. I like to meditate in the morning, but I don't always meditate every morning. Um, One of the things I like to do when it feels like I'm struggling with a lot of things going on in my life outside of me or even inside of me is I'll sit down and just it's almost like a meditation, be really still and just try to be aware of what I'm aware of. Like, wow, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety this morning. A shit pile of anxiety this morning. (laughs) But I'll be really honest and acknowledge it. Yeah, I'm really feeling that right now. And what is that about? And so in a way, it's kind of like a a self-honesty review. In a way, it almost, it's funny because I was raised Catholic sort of when I was really young. In a way, it's kind of like a confession. It's sort of like, but I'm being honest with myself. And that begins the process of, sorting and organizing my life and my day. And so that works really well for me. I loved Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. I love her suggestion that everybody get up and write for 20 minutes without even thinking. She calls them morning pages. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I do that. So some mix of journaling in the morning, being really honest with myself, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, how my life is going with as much honesty. I don't want to bullshit myself. Mm -hmm. Total honesty, like this is what's going on. Uh, and meditation, and then sorting and organizing my day. If I give myself to do that, my day rocks. If I don't have time, and there are times where I frankly have to or had to leap out of bed and just get out for my day, I try to do that at the end of the day too, that sort of final honesty assessment, you might say, and kind of reorganizing my life, my day, and what's tomorrow going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. The, what I gathered from that is the morning routine starts the night before, if yes. you can get it to do so, because you're giving the subconscious mind something to mull over as you sleep, because it is going, it is going to work on your behalf, good or bad, right? And so prepping the night before, that way in the morning, you don't spend your energy, which you wake up with, figuring out what to do. You try to do as much of it as um, the night before in terms of organization. So that's really sound advice is prepping the night before so that you're, you're ready to take off on um, when the morning arises. You know, I'm glad you brought that up too, because I got in the habit, it was probably about 20 years ago of doing that sort of self-assessment planning and organizing the night before, because it helps me sleep better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're busy, you're an entrepreneur, you got a lot of thoughts going on in your head and you're juggling lots of balls, it's sometimes hard to fall asleep. But when I would put it all on paper, yep, this is the plan. This is the strategy. This is what I want to do tomorrow, next week, next month. 
oh man, I sleep so much better. And so that's part of the other reason. It's, it's a really good antidote to busy mind and anxiety if you have trouble sleeping. Getting it all off from your head to paper. Yeah. And um, I think Thomas Edison says, never go to bed without giving your subconscious something to work on for you. Yeah, yeah. And so that's precisely what you're doing. That That's the beauty of it. Because then I'm sure some of the things you put on paper, you wake up with fresh ideas. Yeah, but that's true. <laughs> yeah. Solutions to questions that you had. I, I always, when I'm battling anything, I, I usually ask, how can I ask my subconscious mind, how can I solve this? Or how can I get the best experience out of this situation? I wake up at 3 a.m. with the answer. It's pretty amazing. I love that. You know, I... I literally will pose difficult questions to my subconscious and they usually come forth in the form of dreams for me. Yeah. And, uh, and I love that. So yeah, at 3 a.m. I'm writing down the dream because there's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. I know. So yeah, this is this is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I do like your morning routine meditation. All that stuff is really good in, in calming you down, bringing you down to earth and being present but also it builds this confidence, this gusto for you to face your fears. Right, right. A hundred percent. John, tell us, where can we find you? How can we connect with you? Yeah, my website is johndavidlatta.com. And my last name is L-A-T-T-A, johndavidlatta.com. And my book is The Synchronicity of Love, Stories That Heal, Transform, and Awaken. And you can find that on Amazon or any other online platform that sells books. Amazing. John, it's been an honor. Thank you for spending your time with us. We really appreciate your presence today. Uh, Thank you very much. We appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. All right, morning enthusiasts. That's it for today's show. Thank you for tuning in. If you love the best morning routine ever podcast, we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or Google Play. While you're at it, tell a friend about the show. Be sure to visit bestmorningroutineever.com and our Facebook group to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic free bonus content. Until next time.